Unicorn, tiger, snake, lion. It's a sled. He's dead. The box contains his wife's head. Vader's his father. They're allergic to water. She's her sister and her daughter. You watched it wrong. And welcome back. This is You Watched It Wrong. My name is Wade. I'm Siggy, and this is the podcast where we once again, for the first time in a while, yeah. pick a single movie and discuss it at length without talking about a hundred other movies. And that single movie is Under the Silver Lake. Although I think we're going to talk about a hundred other movies, too. Okay, absolutely. I saw you spying on me earlier. No, it wasn't. Okay. See you tomorrow. Who moves out in the middle of the night? Nothing strange about it. She wanted to leave. How does that not make sense? I don't understand why she didn't tell me. Maybe she didn't like you. Maybe she knows you're poor and haven't paid your rent. I found some kind of code or like secret message in her apartment. It means to stay quiet. Our world is filled with codes, subliminal messages. From Silver Lake to the Hollywood Hills. Could any of this be connected to Sarah? I know this girl. There's a message in the music. Writer-director David Robert Mitchell's third feature, after his uh, hit uh, It Follows and The Myth of the American Sleepover. Uh, Now he comes with this... uh, Well, we're going to talk about what kind of movie this is. Uh, I was really excited for this movie to come out. I've been... Uh, I thought its trailer was one of the strongest ones I'd seen in a while. I was really excited for uh, this director's uh, next movie. And it kept getting delayed. The distributor, A24, who was really, he's really, does a lot of interesting work. And I really like what this distributor does. Uh, They kept pushing it back and it started to get some mixed reviews at like cons. And then they started to get cold feet, which they don't normally do. And then... They brought back its theatrical release to just three days and released it on VOD at the same time, which was a disappointment because I here here's how I watched it, Ziggy. I've seen it twice, but I haven't seen it all in one sitting. I really wish I had seen this in the theater in one sitting instead of desperately trying to stay awake in the middle of the night. The first time I watched it, I watched it in five chunks because I kept it kept getting too too late. I just couldn't get get to it. And um, when I saw it the second time which was last night, I could not believe how much I didn't remember about the pre-Sarah disappearance. I mean, I mean about the movie before that happened. Yeah. So amazed how much I didn't remember. And now I know why, after thinking about it for a bit, not just that I'd only watched it in chunks when I was tired, but because there's just so much always coming in, so much connective tissue coming in in this movie that just pushes out you remembering anything. <laughs> I think. But, um, Siggy, how did you watch this movie? I watched this two nights ago, um, uh, streaming. I was oblivious to this movie, um, just because I haven't... As much as I was a huge fan of It Follows, and It Follows might be my favorite horror movie of all time, it's pretty rare for a horror movie to scare me these days, and, like, It Follows 
haunted me yeah. uh, to the point where um, I've had more than one like very vivid dream of uh, my own sequel to It Follows. <laughs> and we could, maybe, I don't know, maybe we could talk more about It Follows later. Um, but I was like, oh my God, I, this, this, this guy, like there's something about his vision with this movie and it was pretty dumb to try to conceive of a sequel to it follows. Cause just, I know nothing about him except for his Wikipedia page, but just like the few quotes about him, just like watching that movie and then him describing it. I'm like, this thing is like way too personal. I can't imagine. <laughs> right. I can't imagine this ever becoming franchise because it's a stupid idea to even think about a sequel to this movie, even though I, I feel like I'm a strong idea for one. Anyway, uh, I, I wasn't like following him after that, so to speak. Um, so I didn't even know he had a new movie coming out. And when I, I heard about this movie under the silver, Lake, I didn't even know while I was watching it, I didn't even like check out. And I, of course I didn't like remember his name. So I didn't know it was the same guy as it follows as I was watching the movie. And then afterwards I'm like, who is this guy? What is this? What is this movie? Is this like a first time thing? And like, Oh, it's the same guy. Of course. Like now it all makes <laughs> sense to me. Um, but, uh, just watching, uh, watching under the silver Lake, you know, it 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 very consciously uh, has touch points with other like very specific movies, and we can talk about that too. Mm-hmm. And most of those movies I really enjoy, but none of those movies made me feel like I was experiencing. I was in a movie that was about observing the world the way I I feel like I observe it. <laughs> <laughs> Not the way I. Ex- not the way right. I experienced it, but I felt like I felt like I was inside a part of my own head, um, uh, in a very specific way. Mm. But we can get more into that in a bit. Absolutely. So I'm very excited to talk about this movie. I loved this movie. I dug I dug deep and hard into this movie. I figured you could go either way after because I'd seen it before you did, and I figured you could go either way on it. The first time I saw it, I found myself loving this movie, frustrated by this movie. Enchanted by it, engaged by it, but then also felt kind of empty by it. Then when I uh, thought about it a lot more and when I saw it the second time, I viewed it in a whole kind of different light the second time I saw it. And um, I, I actually can't wait to see it again a third time because it's, uh, I appreciated it a lot more the second time, probably because I actually got to see it all in one sitting. Granted, it was from 2 to 5 in the morning. <laughs> but... Uh, I had fallen asleep from eight to one or eight to one thirty. So, oh well, that helped. That helped. Um, but um, it, I certainly think that this is a movie made by a master. He has put everything there. It's purposeful and, and masterfully woven, and, and and that also is absurdly funny in what I think the movie is about. The fact that he's done it this way. And um, the, there is so much connective tissue connecting everything in the movie, and yet I feel the whole point of the movie is it's a search for meaning in Sam's... It's, it's a search for meaning in his life, not the meaning of life. And when you surround yourself with... When you uh, purposely construct your life to be devoid of meaning, and you surround yourself with meaningless things on purpose then your body will, and mind will still crave to search for meaning. So it will then try to find meaning in the meaningless things. However, that doesn't necessarily mean that the things you find 
aren't meaningless to other things. I mean, the, you, obviously Sam stumbles onto some things and have these decoded messages and whatnot, but it is meaning, you know, it's, anyway, anyway, every time I come up with a thesis on this thing, on this movie, I go, oh, but then there's this circuitous thing that, like, doesn't negate that, but it does, it's, both things exist simultaneously. I, I, I love how rich this, I love the rich thought that this movie provokes. I agree. I think I agree with 80% of what you just said. <laughs> I think I think this is definitely the work of a master. Yes. I can I think there's there's a lot in this movie. There's a lot more than needs to be in this movie, but I think <laughs> everything is true. in there for a, a reason and I think it's it's all executed just the way it it should be. There's a few scenes where I'm like, okay, that did that really have to be done that way, although I kind of love the choice. Um I completely yeah. understand Anyone who can't connect with this movie, I oh, think completely. that's like yeah, a total. Completely. You know, um, it's not a oh you're you're not smart enough to get this. It's no, I completely understand why you. <laughs> yeah, like uh, yeah, I'm. I not everyone like is this. not everyone is signed going to sign up for this when they sit down and buy their well buy your ticket and then sit down. It's supposed to happen in that yeah. order. This this is not the subway. Wait, even on the subway, you buy <laughs> never mind. You buy for- <laughs> It's not Amtrak. Um, <laughs> I think there's a lot of themes happening in this in this movie. Yes. Um, a big one is um, trying to make meaning, like the how the mind will work to make meaning, even if you're not consciously trying to make anything meaningful in your life, like right. you say, right? Like um, he has he has no concern about things that definitely impact his life, like rent and. Um, paying his car bill and do he's no concern for that whatsoever. He doesn't even tr- really actively try to have sexual relations. It just what falls in his lap is like, okay, I'll take this. I think this is Andrew Garfield's best performance I've ever seen. Um, I found him incredibly engaging to watch, even though he's being a completely aimless, downright horrible person. <laughs> And aimless yet on a headlong, yeah, yeah. Uh, relentless quest. Well, for something like I just like look at the way he runs. He runs like somebody. His shoulders are hunched forward. He's taking little steps and running. He's he he runs like someone unfamiliar with the idea of hurrying, and he's scared and weak and hiding. But then he has bursts of violence, um, beating up kid, the kids. Costing uh, Troy in the women's bathroom, and uh, and eventually other much more gruesome ones. Um, I don't I don't dislike Andrew Garfield. I've just never thought much of him. I thought he was good in Social Network. I thought there's some interesting Spider-Man choices, but I thought the movies were not good and other things. I just never really thought much about him. And this is the first time I looked. I always thought he kind of stuck out as being like, oh, there's I don't know why Andrew Garfield's here. And this is the first one where I found him to be compelling as a character and a performance that was um, really engaging. And so I was really fascinated watching him. And I think I often, it's, I'm trying to think of who else in this role could have held that movie together in the similar way. I'm not, I can't think of anybody. Well, what do you think he brings to it? 
Well, certainly he has shown his vulnerability in all of these kind of undesirable motivations. When he is complaining that everybody asks him about work. Why is everyone talking about work? I just don't... Uh, I mean, I... I feel for his panic in the fact that, you know, he doesn't have any work. I feel like his sense of entitlement that he should, you know, he never comes right out and says it, except for some scenes where he's saying, do you ever feel like you've, you've kind of fucked everything up and, and you're living the wrong life? And I thought I was going to be something big. He only says that like once in two separate monologues. Um, but you do get the sense of entitlement from him that there's all these... Um, messages out there that I want to know what they say and I should be getting them. I should be getting them. And like, um, but yet to make that vulnerable and somebody I want to see where he goes, I found that very, um, and also just, just, I think just watching him think was really, were, was some of his greatest performances in this movie. I think just watching him figure stuff out and think in something where, Everything is so dense and incoherent and absurd. Watching him react and parse them together, I thought was pretty masterful. It's funny that you you talk about a sense of entitlement because I don't know. Is it that he feels entitled to something? I, he never says specifically that what he wants. N- no, I didn't. And I didn't pick he, up on that he, until he, second he, viewing. He he's he's picking up on these messages. And when, when he finds out what they mean, it's nothing he wants to participate in. It's not like he he encounters a uh, you know the 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 billionaires who are locking themselves in tombs <laughs> underground. And he right. doesn't want. He doesn't want to do that. Right. He doesn't want to do that. He doesn't necessarily try to end it either. No. I mean, he he just does he does he think it's wrong or does he just Miss is he missing a connection with this one specific person? Now let's that talk. He's pursuing the whole movie, let's, right? Let's, like, let's talk about that. You could look at it from the point of view of, you know, all these people I get to have sex with. Hey, here's someone I can have sex with. Oh, I don't get to have sex with her, and she's gone. What? And is he more interested in the mystery of her disappearance, or is he actually concerned about her? Did he actually feel like he had a connection to her? And honestly, I don't need, I'm not so sure he had an actual connection to her until something I just noticed two seconds ago when I was priming up the movie. Okay. I didn't notice, but I remembered on the second viewing that he, see if you remember this, at the end of the movie, after he's spared by the homeless king, Sam goes back to his apartment. He's got a bag with him. And he, the, the VHS tape that his mom sent him of Janet Gaynor's movie, she taped off TCM, is there. Yeah. And he puts down saltines and orange juice. Yeah. Do you know why he buys saltines and orange juice? Because that's, that's the combination she... I didn't remember that at all. Tells him to try, that he's got to try sometime in his life. And you know me, my memory, I remember all this stuff, but I didn't remember that at all. I remember. Oh, uh, that, was a, I, that was a favorite of mine uh, yeah. as a kid. I used to love saltines and orange juice. <laughs> yeah. Oh, hey, there you go. And so and she was, yeah, it's a flavor combination everyone should have before they die. So the end of the movie is him, and I'm trying to see how this fits in, is him. He pops the whole cookie in his mouth because she pops the whole saltine in her mouth. 
right? Oh, right, yeah. See, there. Are, what's great about this movie is that you can trace so many things like that, how they're all connected, uh, and yet they perfectly can read as anything else, as normal. They're not... They're not there as arrows to say this is connecting to that. Like you know, all the, there's there's several lines that are repeated in the movie, like um, uh, something we're going to talk about later for sure. When uh, Topher Grace says, uh, "What do you think about these dog killers?" and Sam goes, "There's more than one." And then uh, later he runs into um, his ex girlfriend at the party when he's in his before he meets Millicent, who's been on the billboards, and he says. Yeah, I've seen your billboard, and she goes, "Oh, which one?" And he says, "There's more than one." Um, now the more than one thing, the first one makes sense because, well, we'll get to that later. That's a question for 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 later. But there's there's lots of these little repeated lines, and they're all placed very purposefully and very masterfully and very. And so you're like, "Oh, that means this. That means this." But then I shoves out all the things I was trying to calculate before. Um, so can I tell you what I think this movie is really about? Please. So the the less interesting take is that this is a story about a guy who killed his ex-girlfriend's dog and can't believe he did that and is spiraling. Right. 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 Um, and is trying to cling on to, to something. Uh, the more interesting take to me is just thematically, and this is the part... I really connected with is it's about not knowing what stimuli to pay attention to. Yes. And uh, especially when you're feeling adrift and aimless and you don't know what you should be doing next. And so you don't know, like, how should I be spending my next day? How should I be spending this day other than trying to distract myself or keep myself entertained or just, feeling sensations whatever sensations i can get today having sex eating great food watching great television right you know the <laughs> the three forms of enlightenment when he finally you know in his empty the trinity that's a big thing yeah. when he finally you know in his empty existence in his empty pop culture saturated los angeles existence when he finally encounters people who are seeking a form of enlightenment what's their enlightenment it's to have sex, eat food, and watch TV. And that's it. <laughs> that's what the rich and powerful... That's, that's what it is. <laughs> who case themselves what? in that tomb. That's what they're, they're aspiring not, to do. They're not, they're not rich and powerful. Oh, no, yeah. These, these aren't, you know... This is why the, the comparison to Chinatown... Unlike, like, Chinatown is, like, about, like, uh, real estate barons fighting over water rights or something like that, right? Yeah. It's been a long time since I've seen Chinatown. Right. But it's about actual powerful people. Right. In Silver Lake, it's about daredevils and songwriters. <laughs> like, it's, it's not a, you know, these aren't like industrialists. Well, see, that's the beautiful part about it is that, is that, is that both movies. This isn't movies, a senator uh, or a governor, you know, involved. Yeah. This is. Both movies are, are, what they share is that it's an L.A. setting and it's the people, it's, it's people of a top echelon, I will say powerful, um, who are con- the, the, it's the paranoia of people controlling the strings, right? They're not controlling strings. But but no, but it's a, it, but it, it, in in Chinatown, the people who are controlling the strings are are, are competent and logical and have a purpose, have a uh, a a um, 
a cohesive purpose. Whereas the, the people who are pulling the strings in under the Silver Lake are, are you know, they're rich string pullers who are just as daft and misguided and needlessly complicated as those they're trying to slip all this stuff past. And then they, <laughs> so it's like, it's, it's just, it's, it's craziness. So it's like if Chinatown had had like the, 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 the villains were like the Muppets. <laughs> <laughs> You know, it's like you're trying to parse out what is what's the what's going on, what's the machinations behind the scene, and then it's just chaos and crazy, and that's kind of what I. That's right. It's like it's it's vacuousness. It's vacuousness top to bottom. Right. right? Like the the evil plot is this guy's gonna write smells like Teen Spirit. (laughs) But some someone is paying him to write. Smells like get, spirit. So to get people to rub James Dean's head, like you know, <laughs> and then so to that wh- they can go in a tomb and watch TV. Like it's, yeah, but, none of it. Yeah, but so, none so, of it leads anywhere. Yeah, because it's like it's 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 like you're gonna put these secret messages in a in a in a song. You write them all out. You go and it, what does it do? It takes you to a place that someone else is doing something. I mean, if the coded message was for certain people to find. Like what were they going to do? They're going, oh, it's come and get cased in con in a tomb with us. Yeah, yeah it was. It's a uh, yeah. It's all. It all leads to just like what? Like there's a line in it later when uh, uh, the person known as Balloon Girl, um, he's she, she's talking to he's talking to her about about uh, hey, what's the? They say that there's messages backwards messages in this song. And she discounts it, and she says, Jesus wouldn't hide a message in a message. There's nothing to solve, you know. It's silly wasting your energy on something that doesn't matter. And yet, she says, we have a very, and then she says, we have a very small window of time which we can enjoy. We're young, we can fuck, we can dance, we can drink, we can watch TV. We have a very, <laughs> that's what matters. Yeah. <laughs> and you're like, oh highest. my God. But the, so so I love that they Jesus would hide a message in a message. So the song is a message, but there's a decoded message in that mess in that message, which is to come to a tomb where you can drink and fucking watch TV. <laughs> <laughs> if you're if, if you're of a if you're elite enough and uh, enlightened enough to understand this, <laughs> so I mean. Uh... It must be like that. What he's really pursuing is just an emotional connection to anything, right? Right. And 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 really, the movie ends when I think the character has gotten where he needs to be, or, or no, the character has come into his final place when he's confronted by the homeless king about why do you have dog biscuits in your pocket? You you, you said. Um, the least, least interesting way to read this movie is it's about a guy who kills dogs. I mean, right. I think he killed one dog. I think he killed his ex-girlfriend's dog. Yeah. I, I, and yeah, that's why I his apartment know. smells. I think. Ah, I was, yeah. I, I hadn't I, considered that. The second time I watched this movie, it was all about, is Sam the dog killer? Because it started to kind of make itself known uh, in the first and second viewing, every frame is packed with, with filmic language clues first time we see sam he's in the coffee shop where they're trying to in vain rub off the beware the dog killer off the window 
And you look over. And not just working on, we find out later in the movie, not just working on one letter at a time, but like sort of scraping all the letters. Yeah, right. And he's, and he's, and, and the camera pans around and sees him staring at it. And then it's to constant. the tune of uh, "Never My Love" by the Association. Right. My entry for most lovely recording of the psychedelic era. Mm. Yeah. So they're always framing him against this dog killer, and then the thing when his Topher Grace says, "You heard about these dog killers?" and he's like, "There's more than one." Meaning, I thought I was the dog killer. <laughs> <laughs> you know. And then there's the skunk smell, but every time, even before that, people are saying, "What's that smell?" It's the stench of you know. Of, of death, he's has he the the women, he has those uh, he views the women as barking, angry dogs. Yeah, those are the those are some of my least favorite uh, moments of the movie. I gotta say, yeah. So that like, and the toilet full of shit. Like, that's <laughs> was now was I'm, the was the shit sparkly? It looked a little sparkly. I thought it just had corns in it. <laughs> I wasn't I wasn't gonna I rewind t- it to see like okay. I understand every choice, like every single choice in this film. I, as I was watching, I'm like, okay, I know what that's doing. I get that. Yes, yeah. yes, yes. And then there was a toilet bowl full of shit. I'm like, okay, is that just for coming? Is that just to make me laugh? Is that just like a cheap? <laughs> like the camera rushes up to it. Ooh, let's see what his <laughs> shit that, looks like. Yeah. Is that just a cheap, a cheap, a cheap gag in this movie? And that those were corns in it, I think. But yeah. I wasn't going to go. Back. It was studded. It almost it almost looked like sprinkles on a donut. It was so maybe it, pronounced. Maybe, maybe it was glittering. That would be. Yeah, see, that's what I thought. I thought it was like that could be saying something. Yeah, it could be saying know. something because he's he's Jesus the Rocker, you know. And maybe he really is Jesus. <laughs> right, that's what I thought. Maybe. Oh, maybe he sh- was shitting gold. Yeah, that's what I was. <laughs> maybe I thought that's what. It was. Maybe that's was, like his music is like he shits and it's. Uh, but he doesn't write all the hits. Remember, he goes, which ones were wow. given to you? And he says, this one, this one, this one. He goes, that's all the hits. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> Written by... I, okay, we got to spend a whole segment on the songwriters. Do you want to just, but... just get into it now? or should we... uh, No, we're talking about um, the dog clues. The dog so dog. I, for me, like the biggest clue that he's a dog killer is that he hasn't he doesn't have a consistent story about whether he has a dog or not. Right. Or has exactly. ever had a dog, right? Yeah. He tells Sarah his dog died, which might be just a, yeah, putting a move on her. But then uh, he tells somebody else he's never had a dog, right? Yeah. So, I mean. Yeah. He's lied about all these other things, too. Like, he lies about his car when his car gets towed. You know, he, goes, he, he, tells, Topher, he tells Topher Grace, oh, it's in the shop. Graffiti. All uh, right. And, right. Uh, so he lies about a lot of status things a lot throughout the movie, and uh, but like I think the only truthful thing that he said about the situation is what he told the homeless king, which yeah. which which is I think I think that's the only one. Now maybe he maybe he killed one dog, maybe he's uh, killed lots of dogs. I, I kind of don't think so. And but honestly, I don't think it matters. I think what matters is. And also, there's the idea that he might be the one painting everything around. He might not be the one. I thought about that, but that doesn't really track. Well, I don't. I don't think any of that's actually happening. Any of the the where the dog killer stuff. I mean, as soon as the it's like the second scene of the movie. As soon as that dead squirrel looks up at him, <laughs> I'm like, oh, okay, this is this is all in his head. The, right? tw- twice I forgot about that suicidal squirrel. Twice I forgot about that, and I was like, oh yeah. What did that mean? 
<laughs> Wait, why is it a suicidal squirrel? It seemed like a suicidal squirrel, I think. It could be. Well, I guess it just it just falls and crap and then yeah. So so it, there are certain sequences that the movie says, okay, this is it was a dream. It's there's like two or three moments where they they the cut implies, oh, this is was a dream. The other thing is you know, how much of this movie that they don't specifically say this is a dream, is it real or is it a dream? Now, part of me thinks that's valid in this movie, and part of me hates the discussion of theorizing, oh, well, maybe all this stuff didn't actually happen. And I'm like, well, no, they presented it to us. I, I, I think we could take it as it happened, but I don't know. I don't know. I, 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 so you think the songwriter scene is like... <laughs> I have no idea. Okay, uh, let's talk about the songwriter scene because... Yeah, let's talk about the songwriter Everything scene. I've seen about this movie, read, read about this movie, says that is the powerhouse scene of this movie. Oh, really? I, I was like, okay, this is the scene where this movie loses people, like half right. the audience. And right? I, I can't decide, is this scene the powerhouse scene of this movie or is it the powerhouse scene of another movie? <laughs> you know? <laughs> Uh, uh, it, and and this it's over the top. It's over the top. Um, I, I don't even agree. It's the powerhouse scene of the movie. Right. I think it's. I think it's. I think it's a scene like it's. We're injecting a different drug right now. Or right. We, yeah. Did you know what this scene reminds me of? This scene reminds me of the Armin Zola scene from Win- Captain America: Winter Soldier. <laughs> That's one what, of my uh, favorite. Uh, it's in my top three non-action scenes <laughs> yeah, in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. I know, but the, it reminds. It basically says, "Okay, we're going to walk into this room, and this all this bigger than life force is going to say, this is what I'm doing without any prompting, <laughs> <laughs> and I'm going to spell it out for you.'" It's kind of like the architect in uh, The Matrix Reloaded. Right, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Now, did I find him compelling to watch? Yes, I did. But it, it just, the whole thing felt so crazy. And, and in a movie that was filled with more allusions to movie than music, it, it was strange to me how oh, much... The, the movie's wall-to-wall music. Yeah, I, you, well, I mean, about? yeah, it's true. Um Okay, so I love the idea and how crushing the notion is that all these things that you responded to and reacted to as a kid in terms of you know music that just opened up new worlds for you and it was you felt like it was yours and it was your rebellion song and you went on and that's all manufactured and planned by somebody else. But it is weird that you go, okay, so wait, it's manufactured and planned, but to put in messages about where you can go get sealed up in a tomb... Right. I mean, yeah. it's true, but metaphorically, right? Right. Like, it's not. But I mean, it's telling that they use smells like teen spirit. Right. Like that's like the tell. Right. I mean, the 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 story of how that song written is a famous story, right? Right. And and Kurt Cobain is kind of a singular figure as a songwriter and like what he represents <laughs> as a as a cultural shift in pop music, right? Yeah. Right. And so. You know, they, he. What was the? It's not "Be My Baby." It's one of this. It's, it's oh, some it was Earth Angel was the one he was doing. Yeah, you know, and like as we progressed through the through the decades, it's like okay, well, that one I could see. Okay, that one I could see. That one I could see, and then you get to smell like Teen Spirit. Like, come on, right? <laughs> well, like, that would be the thing that that would be the thing that would be so crushing to find out that was like written by Coca Cola to do something. You know. 
Like yeah. that that would be that would crush someone because everyone put themselves th- into through and was lifted by that by oh, that like, revolutionary and, turn. And that's why Cobain like had kind of hated that song because he felt right. like that was his that was his jingle that he wrote right or right. whatever. Like he didn't he he was didn't want to show it to the rest of the band. Um, but there, there and there is one but there is one line in that scene that I love. Oh, well, there's a section that I really like, but it is terrifying to consider this, this, uh, your art, your writing, your culture is the shell of other men's ambitions, ambitions beyond what you will ever comprehend or understand. Sorry. Is it's, it's, you know, that is something that could drive someone crazy, you know, to be like, all this stuff that I thought were honest reactions. Co- the, the, the comic man, as he's titled, the zine writer, you know, echoed that earlier. He said, ideologies you assume you adopted through free will, but are actually result of hidden messages. Yeah. You know, these things. And so, like, that's a terrifying concept to think that the thoughts that I had and the reactions I had weren't, were, were in purposeful and intended by somebody else. This is why I hated uh, working in Hollywood. I mean, this is like, this is it. Like, this is. <laughs> right. Yeah. This, this movie is like, okay. All right. This is, this is why this movie got so deep under my skin. Is. <sighs> okay. Let me go back. I'm yeah. in, I'm in uh, high school. Um, and a friend, my friend Zuzak, his older sister's boyfriend. Gives him a mixtape of They Might Be Giants. And it's like a compilation of their first three albums mixed together. That's all they're, that's all they've been released. This is 1990. And he looks up to me and says, Oh, you got to listen to this. I listened to it. And for the first time, music makes sense to me. Right? Mm, yeah. And, uh, and then I will go on and I'll encounter other people who like They Might Be Giants. And they'll say things to me like, oh, I like them because their lyrics don't make any sense or their songs aren't, ab- <laughs> right. aren't about anything. I'm like, what the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> like, how can you, how can you, how can you even think that? And then also say you like them. Like, right. we're not, we're not listening to the same thing or, uh, uh, and, and so I finally like expressed it to, um, a friend uh, a few years ago in a conversation is before, before I encountered, they might be giants. I observed that most songs like pop songs were about love and romance. Right. Right. Girls. <clears throat> and it just seemed like girls and boys. And it just seemed like an arbitrary subject for every single song to be about. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm not going to talk about love for this one particular person that I love. I'm just going to talk about it in general. Well, many songs are about one particular yeah. person, right? right? But um, but there's so many other things you encounter in your life that like interest you or freak you out or like are mysteries that you ponder and like that's what their music meant to me. It was it's like. <clears throat> and I don't think it's an accident that especially their early stuff has like a very paranoid kind mm. of uh, theme to it. Um, 
and like a fear of death but also a mm-hmm. like fear of meaningless like is like that's a, a lot of their early stuff is about that um and and just feeling like you're surrounded by stimuli and that any any you could like pick any one thing in your environment and become obsessed with that one thing yeah and it's either like arbitrary what you <laughs> what you pick or it says something about you, or it's like whatever you're perceiving as a threat, or whatever it is. Like, it, it, and it could be different every day, and uh, and then uh, like getting obsessed with pop culture and uh, uh, trying to like if you're when you're in a state of mind where you're trying to search for meaning like you say mm-hmm. and the only places you're going to it are yeah. are pop culture yeah um in this shallow state of affairs and then you go to to live in Los Angeles so that you can work in an industry that's all dedicated <laughs> right? right to right. to ostensibly like making artistic expression happen but mm-hmm. really making commodity right and uh Anytime you do get to partake in this this process of of making this awesome stuff, it's at somebody else's direction, and they're following somebody else's direction. Right? right. Yeah. Totally. Right. Yeah. And so you just feel like you're. I mean, it's the, the cliche. You're like a little cog in a big machine, right? right. Um, and it just you feel frustrated and angry, and 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 adrift. Um, and and this movie like really made me feel like how I felt the year I lived in in Burbank and why I had to leave. Yeah, <laughs> is because I felt like this all the time in some way, and uh, and it really came like the most acute moment. Um, and and Seymour talks about this how like I wasn't myself is uh, you and I were both. Um, Writing for the what was it the Warner Brothers? Um, it was uh, like a comedy s- workshop. Sitcom, yeah. yeah. And you had to write a sitcom spec sh- uh, spec script. And right. so for like, I spent a, s- a solid week uh, working on this dumb uh, Norm Show script, which you know I went back years later, and there's a joke on page one that made me break out in sweats. It's so bad. <laughs> anyway, I remember that that whole script very well. I I, I kind of thought it was very daring in a way. Like I was like, oh, I broke out in sweat reading it. Like, oh my gosh, he's going there. It's about it's a it's, it's about all jokes about spousal abuse. <laughs> right, exactly. I was like, oh, jeez, you took a topic that you can't make funny, and he went right in. And honestly, a, couple, a good part of the time, it was funny. <laughs> I mean, he's a in the show. He's a social worker. Yeah, he's so a social I'm worker. Like, it fits the world. It wasn't like suddenly how you made your mother is dealing with. One of them beating each other, <laughs> you know. I was trying to, yeah, I was trying to be relevant uh, uh, to the setting. Um, but anyway, like I, 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 I reached such a state of like anger and self-loathing at this, uh, at writing this, and I finally sent it off. And so that night, a bunch of us were meeting at a place that was in walking distance from our apartment. And on the way there, like walking, crossing the street, this guy was crossing the other way and he just like was staring at me and I like tried to start a fight with them. You did? 
Yeah, or, I was like, what the fuck are you looking at? The Seymour's like, Siggy, let's get out of here. And she's like pulling me away by the arm. And I was like, what's your fucking deal, guy? You know, and like, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not usually like that. But I, right. I just felt like felt, I, I just, you know, I was ready to explode at that moment. Um, and that's, I, I recognized, I recognized myself <laughs> in, uh, uh, in certain moments that yeah. uh, Sam experiences in this movie. Mm-hmm. Um uh, even though they're uh, much of much of what he experiences is completely alien to me, but uh, thematically and just like emotionally, like I like I I have I have been here. I know this. I know this feeling. Wow. And so yeah, so I was like beat by beat in this movie. I'm like, this is this movie is for me. This like this movie. If uh, oh, what's the director's name? After this and it follows. I I haven't seen. Uh, Myth of the American Sleepover, man, I got to. Yeah, me neither. I, I know next yeah. to nothing about David Robert Mitchell, but I feel like I grew up yeah. with him after watching those two movies. I really do. Um, he's definitely on my list of like anything with his name that comes out, I'm there. All right, well, we're going to take a little break and we'll come back with more uh, Under the Silver Lake right after this break. You wrote the song Turning Teeth for Jesus and the Brides of Dracula. There are codes in the music. I wrote the songs your dad grew up to. Half of what you sang along to as a kid, and I'm still doing it. Nationwide is on your side. I don't always worry what the message is. I just pass it along. Plop, plop. Fizz, fizz, oh, what a relief it is. (laughs) You're telling me you put hidden messages in all these songs? I created so many of the things that you care about. The things that give your life purpose. Light bright, light bright, turn on the magic of colored light. (laughs) Oh, look at you. Your whole culture is just the shell of other men's ambitions. Ambitions which you could never understand. Hot pockets. But these are all just... looks mighty These are all just commercials. Because Tootsie Rolls are all I see. Uh-oh, that's one you know. That wasn't written by a cartoon owl licking a lollipop. No, I wrote it. On piano. For money! That is not very surprising. (coughs) It's pretty close to how I always thought this worked. Oh, yeah. Well, maybe you remember this little ditty. Lord, the bridge is falling down, falling down, falling down. Do you realize just because you can play these songs on piano doesn't prove you wrote them? Oh, what about this one? Ring around the rosy, pocket full of posies. I put hidden messages in that one, too. About the bubonic plague. Yeah, everyone knows that. I started the bubonic plague. I wrote messages in Morse code with the pustules. Yeah, well... I've got some dogs to kill, so... Uh, oh, wait, 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 wait. This one is going to get you, goat. Just just wait for it. 
just wait for it. Hold on. Heart and soul. I fell in love with you. Never gonna give you up. Never gonna let you down. <laughs> you invented Rick Rolling? Wait, 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 wait. Hold on. This one's for real. Baby elephant walk. Do, 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 do. Never gonna give you up. Never gonna let you down. <laughs> This is funny to you? I didn't even write that Rick Astley song. I just love it so much. I wanted everyone to hear it. Stop it. Never going to give you up. Stop it. It never gets old. Kurt Cobain guitar coming at you. Oh, face is gone. Rick Nielsen's guitar. Victor Borges piano. Neil Peart's drum set. Amber back. Something you said earlier reminded me of uh, a line that I really loved. It was um, when he goes to the uh, zine writer's house. And they're looking yeah. at all the face life casts on the walls. Yeah. And he's talking about the life casts. And then the guy goes, I really need to get a family. So I have somebody to leave these two, right? Right. <laughs> and like, you know, it like. That was a funny line. It was because it really looked like, you know, that moment where you're talking to someone, you've probably had this with me a lot, where it looks like they've had an epiphany, where it looks like, <laughs> oh my gosh. I now know what's all wrong, and I need—I can take action now. And then the next thing you say realizes you didn't have that at all. <laughs> no, you're actually doubling down you're on doubling the fucked up thing. <laughs> exactly, because <laughs> I need to get a family. It's kind of like you know, if you had a family, you your mind would be occupied with all the things you needed to do for the family. <laughs> yeah. You'd be caring about about and for other people, and you wouldn't be driving yourself crazy, you know, with other stuff. So I think yeah, that was—I loved that so much. That's that's a scene I want to I started to think hard about like why why the actors why use the actors they did you well, know he's Johnny a, Depp Grace Kelly Oh right who was the other one that we got close ups on Abe Lincoln Abe Lincoln <laughs> <laughs> I think that those were the only two I remember getting real big close ups on Johnny Depp and Grace Kelly I couldn't figure that one out so, so Grace Kelly, I have a theory for why we get her. I don't, I don't know about Johnny Depp, uh, but I love the detail of the. Um, these are all like painstakingly collected and and displayed, but then they all have kind of shitty like P Touch or like the old <laughs> label maker before P Touch, before the, the right. laser printed ones, like the ones you would k- k- clink k- clink. Yeah. Uh, I, I love. I used to have one of those. My dad. Brought one home from the shoe store, and I used to love playing with that. Now the zine, uh, the zine guy, was the introduction of the owl's kiss. That's something yes. we haven't even talked about yet. Yeah, and the owl's kiss, the most it follows like element right. of uh, this film, probably. Now the the owl's kiss, um, got away from me in the first move for viewing. And then I was starting the second movie going, oh, yeah. <laughs> and so I started thinking all about the, um, 
you know, because because she does act somewhat supernaturally because she comes out of his cabinet in his kitchen. Remember when she enters Sam's home? Yeah, she comes through out of the kitchen cabinets, and then that's the last we see of her. She gets scared by the gun <laughs> and runs away. Yeah. Now she had a tattoo right on her ankle. Did she? I I. I believe so because let me write this down because I I noticed the same tattoo was on Sarah's leg, and the temporary tattoo, the temporary tattoo, and was also on a shooting star, the shooting star prostitute, her hip. Oh, because it was a star. And so, so the Alice Kiss has that tattoo. I didn't notice that. Yeah, so it made me kept thinking, wait, who's the Alice Kiss? Then, like, is one of these people the Alice Kiss? Oh come on, it's a, yeah. it's a it's a hallucination. Exactly, exactly. It has to be. So it's like, this is, it's this is, it's it's. I mean, okay. I think the Owl's Kiss. So a lot of this movie is about the male gaze, right? Yes. Um, and and, and, and that's definitely, I think, baked into the screenplay. This this movie got a little bit of controversy in in thinking: well, is this movie misogynist in its portrayal of of women? And and you know, they're always in threes. They're always in the Trinity. They call that out at one point in Purgatory. There's a lot of um, uh, male, ga- you know, he's always fixated on the ass of either Sarah or the girls walking down the street to that obvious garage, you know, it says movie auditions written in cardboard. That's <laughs> 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 like, oh God, we've seen this too many times for real life. Um, and, and so he's obsessed with that, but then um, what's, what's, would normally, I think, be a hearkening of a really bad aspect is that n- only a few women in the movie have names. It's just Sarah and, and Millicent Severance. And then the three roommates who we never really get to know, they're, cra- they're, they're uh, for the final guy's brides, have the names of Troy, Fanny, and May. Fanny May, I guess. Um, but everyone else in the script... Is listed as topless bird woman, bikini top hat girl number one, emerald beauty. That's the girl in the green. She's always wearing green. Who shows up next to Alan? Mm-hmm. But uh, balloon girl, who's a huge part, but she's only listed as balloon girl. Meek bride, Clara Bow bride, Botox reporter, shooting star number one, shooting star number two. Isn't they, this true of the male characters too, though? But I mean, it is. It is. Grace's bar, bar friend. Yeah, right. right. The only people who have names in that are Sam, Allen, and Topher, not Topher Grace, weirdly. He had a bigger part than, than Alan did. Jesus uh, of the band and Jefferson Severance. And, and, and Jesus isn't his, his real, real name. name. <laughs> we, and, then, we, and then there are other people who are named like assume. the homeless king and the songwriter, but those are, you know, everyone else are bar buddy, tow man, comic man, final man, stupid boy, number one, stupid boy, number two. Yeah. So it's everyone. It's men and women. But each of the names are pointed in some way. They're opinionated and they're reductive. Like, you know, stupid boy, number one. It's the ki- those are the kids who are um, egging the cars okay. that he beats up. Like Botox reporter, that's just the news reporter. Who's talking about Jefferson Severance's uh, uh, demise, apparent demise, and like it's like it's like they're all critical and and, so I, and like and I honestly don't think that the the writer director has that attitude. I think that that's telling you about the world. 
He never names Balloon Girl or the prostitute that he um, sleeps with, even though they have sizable parts. I I mean, roles. (laughs) 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 Um, But uh, so he doesn't, and 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 the guys too. He doesn't doesn't name them, and so it's the disinterest in everything. That, uh, but but at the same time, there's the the women of this world. Are they just the way that Sam sees them? Like when he's in the bathroom after getting racked by the girl, he grabs and yells "fuck you" in his face, and then they all come in and say, "What are you doing in here?" and start barking at him. And then they actually have the sounds of dogs, and he feels threatened, even though he's the one that violated their space and accosted somebody <laughs> um is that is this representative of sam's view of all these women or but we only ever get to see kind of one type of women woman except his mom apparently and i guess jefferson seven seven's his wife who's on the bruise broadcast but everyone else is the same kind of over-the-top hollywood vapid you know elite chaser that's all we ever get to see. We don't have no counterpoint to that is my point. It sounds like you're making an argument that the film isn't misogynist. I'm trying it's just to. That he he exists in a in a culture that's misogynist. Is that what you're saying? Right. I'm just I'm saying the fact that we only see this one type of woman, is that Sam's worldview or is that the movie's worldview? Ah. Uh, that's okay. what I'm trying to say. Um I'm not sure. Uh I mean, so the uh the shooting star who comes to his apartment the short-haired one right i mean she's not like a stereotypically no hollywood glamorous type right no i mean i don't i don't think she fits into your description um no 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 that's not i I, 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 I I I would say she's more of an unconventional beauty right but i didn't mean i didn't mean physical type i meant we only see one type of woman in this movie is just uh, that's what I'm, I'm, not, I'm not. Oh no! Wait, I take that back because we see the girlfriend. We see his girlfriend who he meets later. I, I meant someone who like like someone who's chasing that Hollywood vapidity, and like basically saying when Balloon Girl lays out kind of her view, that's pretty much the view of everybody in the movie, and even uh, 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 every woman in the movie is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, it's one um, type but there's of a person. Difference between the way her, her vapidity is um, depicted versus um, Bar Buddies, right? Like right. Bar Buddy is is the guy who has the drone and watches others. Watches and, others. That was really great to have that moment. We're like, we're going to see this really hot chick get dressed, and then just to have this really personal, private moment of her crying so and and they're like she takes her shirt off to do yeah and then then they're like well this isn't kind of what i wanted to see (laughs) they don't actually good night see you later (laughs) um but uh uh oh shoot i had too many too many thoughts all hit me at once um yeah and 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 alan's vapidity which is um i I thought jimmy simpson would it delivered some perfect la like when you first meet him and, and Sam says, is that a woman's blouse you're wearing? And he's like, yeah, probably. But then when, she, when he says, hey, now listen to the amount of detail that Sam gives and, and the response that, Al, that Alan has. 
He goes, hey, I'm looking for three girls that drive a white hatchback rabbit. Do you know who they are? And he goes, no, but I would love to meet them. <laughs> Which is, is the greatest LA thing to say. <laughs> because you never know, you know, what's going to happen. Like, no, but I would love to meet them. <laughs> yeah. It's, but uh, this is what I'm saying. And this is, I'm right. trying to tie this back to the misogynist argument is the men in this equation are, are not objects the way that the women are. Right. Even the even the women who are pursuing their own uh, agendas or have agency, they're 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 still like have something to do with giving pleasure to men, right? And in a way that the men are giving pleasure back. I think I mean I think that's where the the charge of misogyny would right would come in here, right? I mean I don't think saying that they're both vacuous puts them on a level playing field, right? No 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 absolutely not. Well obviously it's got one. The whole setup is to have one man with three brides underground. Yeah. yeah. You know, um, Jesus and the three in the vampire brides of Dracula, three, three women. And they kind of are all usually blonde brunette and redhead or blonde brunette and something. You know, they're always they're staggered. Uh, they're, they're, they're varying, you know, flavors of women <laughs> that a guy can partake of. And so, yeah, there's 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 that aspect that is, it, but um, I think it runs the. I mean, the the movie runs the risk of criticizing something by doing it. Exactly. And, no, exactly. And um, and but I'm but doing it in such a way that of course everyone will see that how like corrupt and Sir, uh, yeah, exactly. and terrible this is, and of course there will be a, a group of people who. We'll watch it and we'll accept it completely on face value, you know? Exactly. Like, like David Fincher, I think, meant Fight Club as a criticism of the type of person who would resort to <laughs> Fight Club. And then, of course, there were all these assholes who were starting Fight Clubs. Right, Because exactly. they, they thought it was awesome. Right, right? exactly. Um, so I, I, I think it is – I think this movie is, um, especially in its, in its treatment of the male gaze um, – uh, treading in those in those dangerous waters, uh, I do think one of the key, maybe the key scene in the entire movie, and I think my favorite sequence is hit the mas- his masturbation scene, where he. Oh right! It's it's the equivalent of the detective has all the clues <laughs> up on his wall oh, with the red. Yarn connected and like right. I see the connections. I see the connections. Ah, oh, yeah. like I'm having, I'm having an epiphany. Ah, <laughs> yeah. oh. except he's laid it on the bed and it's all the clues for all the parts of the mystery and just like random pieces of porn. Yeah. His favorite childhood Playboy, <laughs> you know, just uh, some right. some ads for for prostitutes and he's got them all laid out. Like this is the mystery. This is it. This is the big picture. He doesn't even have the prostitutes laid out yet. He's got like bra ads and all, all that That's stuff. Right. And then and then suddenly it's not it's not something's not right. So he starts something's flipping through. Enough. He starts flipping through to get to those Carl Grow ads, and he sees the 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 yeah, ad of the two people. So he gets the right. next clue be, uh, through that. But like this guy, like like trying to get, achieve maximal visual stimulation and feel like he's putting the pieces of his puzzle <laughs> together and just being like master of his universe and the situation, even though like it's this incomplete, it's not literally impotent, but it's like this kind of pathetic 
Right. Um, very base. Uh, uh, yeah. Display of potence. Like I, I, I want to make the argument that like that one scene like sums up American maleness of the last fifty years. <laughs> I, I, I was, I was going to say post war, right. but it's, uh, it, it's too, um, it's not sexual repressive enough. I think to. I think from like sexual revolution onward, it's definitely like right. this is maleness. <laughs> this is American maleness, like right here. Right. Is is it's all symbolized. It's all captured in this one brilliant scene. Yeah. I think it's my. I think it. I think that's the. I think that's the powerhouse sequence. Of, I really do. I, I right, honestly right. do. I well, think like. I think that's the powerhouse sequence of the movie. I think it's all that. I think the whole movie is in that one. That one scene. I think you can, if you need to show one scene that like captures the themes of this movie, that's it. Mm, I think you've made a great argument for that that I think I might adopt as well. When I, <laughs> when, when, I, when I think of the theme of this movie, it's not in one scene, but the part that makes me think security, sec, I don't know how to say the word, that just keeps looping, the thoughts keep looping in my head, is the final scene, well, close to the final scene, um, when he goes over to the, uh, he leaves his apartment that is going to be he's going to be evicted from, and goes over to the topless bird woman's apartment, and they just walk right in and have sex, and they're sure. in bed together. She's a free spirit. He's a free spirit. She's in bed together. They're in bed together, and um, he asks, hey, "What does that bird say?" I don't know. Honestly, I always wondered, but I have no idea. I don't know. It's it's nothing. It's a bird, and and so even after all this, he's trying to decode the meaning of what this bird squawk is when it's just a bird squawk. It's meaningless. But then, as I was writing that out, I went, "No, wait a second. A bird squawk isn't meaningless. A bird squawk is a bird communicating. The bird has a reason to squawk and squawk the way it does." It's just incomprehensible to humans. It's not meant for us, which is like the messages in the song. <laughs> it's not meant for certain people to understand. So that's the part that keeps making me going. You're searching for meaning, meaning in the meaningless. That this bird is just squawk. What does it mean? It doesn't mean anything. But it does mean something because the bird is purposefully doing something. The bird it's is part of this community. Like it's it's mimicking something, right? And it's what? not doing it very well or faithfully. Sounds like Oliver to me. Every time I heard it, I heard Oliver. It's it's it, yeah. it kept sounding slightly different to me. I mm -hmm. kept thinking I was hearing. They were changing it quite a bit. Yeah, different things. Um, but uh, the thing, the first time we hear it, Ricky Lindholm, the comedian Ricky Lindholm, is is billed as actress in this movie. She's the one that comes up, you know, she comes, she's the one that, that he, she's his, I guess they regularly have sex. Oh, whatever. from she, uh, Garfunkel and Oates. From Garfunkel and Oates, right. Yeah. And so she comes over, now, there's a case to be made, and maybe you're going to laugh at me that I even suggest there's a case to be made. <laughs> there's a case to be made that she's not even real. Because the first uh, time she shows up, she shows up in a beer garden outfit, in a fantasy beer garden outfit, and says, yeah. uh, this is, I'm a auditioning for a role down the street do you audition in costume not really or bring but, your own costume or bring your costume yeah. and then the next time you see her she's in a nurse's outfit uh, a sensual 
kind of nurse outfit. So you're like, okay, so she's going on all these auditions in these outfits. Wait, wait is she even real? Well, <laughs> they might be porn auditions. Or oh, they might yeah. be, or maybe she's a stripper and uh, yeah. or a prostitute. Maybe, you know, like I think a lot of the, a lot of the things in this movie, I think, are like a lot of these things in the movie rhyme is because he has things that are really in his life. And then he has the delusional version of that. Right. And it could maybe I did think about this. Like maybe she's a, um, these are like, you know, fetish outfits and the shooting stars are like the delusional version of the 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 mm. the you know, the escort in his in his personal life hmm. uh, that he has a, a side thing with. I don't know. But what about the pirate? <laughs> <laughs> the pirate. <laughs> so let's see. The pirate is there in Sarah's apartment the first when he leaves. The pirate shows up again in the uh, to take Sarah's box from the paddle boat. From the yeah. paddle boat. See. And he runs, <laughs> he runs to the paddle boat, and he runs away. So yeah, and it, it, a little thing. Did you notice there that all the paddle boats that were at the dock were white, and every all the paddle boats are white, but somehow Sam's got a red paddle boat. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. No. So it's something to have been through. Uh, it's packed full of these little things, um, and then you see the the pirate again in the limo after he meets sees who he finds out later is an escort. The two escort actresses, um, and they're leaning up against the gravestone of Alfred Hitchcock. Yes, yeah. um, he's in the limo. Do we see him again? I don't remember. It's the the Hitchcock. Okay, the two moments. Oh, we haven't talked about that. Okay, sorry. I'm going to return to yeah, Hitchcock. Yeah, yeah. Go ahead. Sorry. So, so I'm just saying. I'm saying the 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 pirate to me just seems to be an absurd facilitator. That there be something so ridiculous as a party store looking pirate in an otherwise sleek up elite thing but that's just feels very la to me <laughs> but i don't know if there's anything else beyond that to do that thing but maybe maybe there is yeah i mean well uh, you know it's like the parrot like everything is just kind of imitating something else really yeah and that's there's and, nothing there's there's nothing really authentic in this in this world right i'd heard it mentioned that there are lots of allusions to other movies in this film uh even down to the framing of other films normally that kind of thing i think is like ugh. and honestly i didn't notice too many uh i was too caught up in the movie itself the only thing I can really think of is, uh, I don't know which Marilyn Monroe film, but there's a lot of Marilyn Monroe suggestions in um, Sarah's, you know, down from her outfit to the thing she says in the, when she's in the pool, in his dream sequence. But that's really the only ones. I mean, obviously there's where he's got on the, the poster, movie posters in his apartment are uh, the rear window, the wolf man, and um, Abbott and Costello meet Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Oh, there's a rear window poster? I mean, yeah, that's definitely one of the reference yeah. in this in this movie. Yeah. And of course you got Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde if you're thinking about dog killer stuff and you're thinking about and then there's a uh, Wolfman, the same kind of thing. There's this, you know, the duality of man kind of uh, uh aspect. Um speaking of which earlier in the beginning of the movie, 
he's before we really get into the meat of it, he's walking home to his apartment, which that path he takes feels like a zoo, like he's walking through the zoo. I thought I thought it was the Griffith Park Zoo. Um, the there was another shot, uh, the tomb. Uh, yeah, you remember those? Remember when we were back down at the old zoo in the park? Yeah, and we were climbing the, around those areas zoo. in there, the abandoned zoo. Yeah, um, and we went down those those staircases. I I thought of that day too because I was like, I bet they shot this in those old zoo, like the 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 scene where the homeless king is uh, interrogating him. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. yeah, and then he escapes. I was, I was sure that was the old zoo. The, yeah, me too. The old Los Angeles Zoo. So it really made me think he's for some reason walking through a zoo because they have a shot of a ground of some groundskeeper guy in a blue vest raking the wet leaves out of this kind of pond underneath the walk path at the very beginning, and I kept thinking that was going to come into play because they take a real moment to look at him, and it never does as far to my as far as I know. Um. Maybe you know, maybe my third time will enlighten me on that. <laughs> well, you talk about allusions to other movies, so I I was keeping a list in my head of other movies this this movie was making me think of. Um, many of them L.A. based noirs, although not all of them. So Rear Window and Vertigo. Um, mm-hmm. uh, well, the Vertigo shot is when he sees the squirrel. I think uh, uses the the Vertigo dolly zoom. Um, I was thinking that as the Jaws dolly zoom, but well, know. vertigo, vertigo first. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is. It Owls is. kiss, lady, um, and just kind of the general vibe had me thinking of Donnie Darko, mm-hmm. but obviously it follows too. Um, Mulholland Drive was a big yes. one, and then when um, when Patrick Fischler shows <laughs> up, I'm like, okay, he's yeah. like casting him is is definitely to make me think of Mulholland Drive, right? I, I like, think is, I think so. Yeah. This is stunt casting right now, right? Right. Um, the Big Lebowski. Um, what was it? It yeah, wasn't well, just Jesus. It was Jesus, but it was something else too. Well, the 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 billionaire's daughter, um, uh, the disaffected billionaire's daughter. Oh, she yeah. cuts her toes. And then um, Darren Aronofsky films, but Pi in particular. I was already thinking of that movie when we get the um, uh, in the graveyard shot after he gets sick from the cookie, and we have the stumbling, you know, camera. Yeah. It's, the, it's the thing where they attach the camera like to a pole to the actor's chest or to a, a right. belt that's strapped to him, so that it like rocks uh, in a, like a seasick way as he as he walks. Mm-hmm. I always associate that that with pie. Although it's probably older. I don't know. Is that used in like Evil Dead 2 or something? It probably is. Maybe, yeah. I always associate that with Pi. Um, I still need to see Pi. I own it, but I haven't seen it yet. You so don't. I mean, you so kinda, it's one of Carrie's favorites. So. You don't really have to. I mean, <laughs> it's, it's, it's okay. It's, it's an auspicious debut. Um, what else? I, I guess that was my list. I felt like I, I thought I had more. Well, there certainly are a lot of visual allusions to things i'm just kind of going through the the the, um all these little things like when sarah is uh kind of all into to uh sam but then when fireworks go off she looks up and she looks at and her countenance changes and suddenly she's like oh yeah so she's got the symbol like that you this is when it's time is fireworks oh i forgot about that yeah um uh, i think this came from the zine and they said Silver Lake was once called Edendale. And I was trying to go, I was 
to go, that's obviously important. <laughs> um, is that an allusion to something? Maybe. Edendale is in, is in Garden of Eden, I guess. Let's say, oh, we didn't talk about say. So what do you make of the dream scene, or supposedly a dream scene? No, it's probably a dream scene. When uh, he's walking down the tr- nature trail, uh, of his, the trail of his dog biscuits. And then he comes to Sarah's dead dog. And then he sees what looks like Sarah feasting on a dead man. Turns around, and I, I don't, didn't recognize this person from the rest of the movie. It was just some guy. Uh, it looks like um, Bob from Twin Peaks. <laughs> and then as she, he starts barking, the two halves of the body... Uh, that was a great image. ...just separate and run into the, to the woods. So I was thinking, I just now thought... Was his brain putting, making the bodies look like, feel like skunks running into the woods? Or like what? Like what, what did that dream mean to you? Because then, yeah, because then he wakes up. I have to, maybe I'll have to look at this again because the way I saw it was he, 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 he wakes up, his pants are undone, and he's got his hand in his pants. Now, oh, does he? I thought he had his hands down the front of his pants. Maybe he has it in his pocket. Because he wakes up and he slaps his hand, he's really saying he slaps his hand on a on a Spider Man comic book, Amazing Spider Man, and it comes sticks to his hand because you know he he played Spider Man, <laughs> Amazing Spider Man, you know, so like he's got waving the Spider Man comic around and then he throws it away and then they, he looks at his hand and it's a close up on his hand and I stared at this way longer than I wanted to because it did look a, like a little semeny, but. It was had a red, crusty stuff, like red clay all it's over it. It's the bubble gum from his car handle. From his car handle? Yeah, it's one of the things they do to his car, is there's like bubble gum all oh, over it. I thought it was, um, at first I thought it was blood from the dream. And then I'm like, well, no, it's not blood. I thought it was dried blood. And I go, then it's not blood. And, I was like, was he? and then I thought, oh, it's a crumbled up dog biscuit from his pocket. I was like, wait, was he masturbating with his dog biscuit? <laughs> and I stared at this for a long time going, what does this mean? What, there it, was other stuff stuck in it. And yeah, then, yeah, that was probably was was dog biscuit crumbs. You're right. But um, no, it? And, uh, it's the night before when uh, he finds out his car is keyed and has the dick driving Drunk. the hood, which never becomes a plot point when he's following uh, the white rabbit convertible for an entire evening. They never notice that the same car with the dick... <laughs> Scratched into the hood has been following them, um, mm-hmm. which is a pretty good clue that that's a fantasy sequence, I think. But um, you, you expect there to at least to be like somebody to notice that there's a, there's a dick scratched on his hood. Well, that's. Uh, but anyway, when he discovers his car, then he goes to open the door and he's like, ah, and there's like bubble gum. All oh, over okay, the, all right. The handle, right? I get. Yeah, I guess so. I didn't. I didn't put that together though. Because we had seen this other thing, but I guess that was kind of the difference between, like, yeah, I guess that was. So, Edendale, Los Angeles, is a historical district in Los Angeles, mm. uh, in what is known today as Echo Park, Los Feliz, oh. and Silver Lake. So that's just a real thing, right? It's and known. what's on the TV when he's looking at his hand is the Andy Griffith show, and they're talking about. What are they going to do with all these dogs? And he goes, well, they'll probably gas him. They'll probably yeah. gas all these dogs. What? In the tomb uh, at the end, what is 
Um, what is Sarah and her, uh, her her friends watching? Leave it to Beaver. That's that's the excellent TV they get to watch in their in their paradise that they've built for themselves. Now this, yeah, that's pretty great. This might be um, something that is. Uh, this is, might be too much, but like. I, I noticed, like, so he get the the, the he's told he's got to he'll be forcibly removed if he uh, from his apartment if he can't pay in four days. And you immediately cut to the bar and he's drinking with Topher, already forgotten, right? And so Topher says, "Have you heard about these dog killers?" And Sam, that's what Sam says. Uh, there's more than one. There's an American flag in the background. And then Topher talks about how traumatizing it is watching these dogs. Like, just imagine having these dogs killed right in front of your face, which I didn't think was happening. I thought he was just snatching dogs and killing them, but apparently. Right. Getting mugged and, yeah. Mugged and then the dog's being killed. And he says, and while he's saying this, they, they are stuck on a close-up of his hands, of um, Sam's hands. And he's yeah, twisting a like, napkin, right? He's twisting a napkin. Is that a napkin or is it a straw? Or something. Um, but he's making paper straw thing. He's making Which it, I do that. He's I making it that. like this, like this, and they, in a way, uh, uh, Wade is now oh. twisting his hands together right in front of the camera. But from the other angle, from this angle, yeah, it almost looks like the hobo sign that he's told in the next scene, the hobo keep quiet oh. sign, hmm. and I and I that he finds on the wall. Like you know, he walks over to the wall. He walks over to her apartment in the next scene and sees that on the wall. Behind the door. Behind the know. door. Um, also, the box of Sarah. Oh, that's okay. See, now I'm still putting things together. I, I, I said this box of Sarah's belongings. Is there a point <laughs> to this? And then I realized, oh, she's got the three dolls of the three women in the movie that she's they're watching together. And then in the photo at the end of the movie, they see Riley's there with. Jefferson Severance, no, not, well, not with Jefferson, yeah, with Jefferson Severance, and she's holding those three dolls. They were in the box, and now she's got them. Yeah. So, okay, that did have a point. Okay, whatever. <laughs> uh, I did like these little things. She missed her dolls. I do like these little things, like when Sam's watching uh, the, the three girls get out of the car and wait under the digital scoreboard, and then you see the 751. Um, he jots down the symbols he's seeing on the back of an unpaid parking ticket. That was nice. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was a nice detail. <laughs> yeah, it, it, Sam just another thing that makes this kind of unbelievable is Sam just walks in everywhere. He just walks in. He can get into all these elite places, um, where the hottest bands in LA's are playing without any effort whatsoever. He can go in a pool. And hide his head behind a beach ball. And then later, he's not even wet, is he? No, he's not. When he goes in the bathroom after 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 Toshana from Girls, uh, he's dry, right? Right. He's not wet. He never... You don't see him take his clothes off. Is he skinny dipping in? You know, yeah, I mean... The whole time I was wondering, is he... Yeah, what is he? Is he in there his full clothes? These are things that make you think. Yeah. You know, the, 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 the pieces don't all add up here. Right. Right. There's and lots so of, lots of clues uh, so, in this movie. Yeah. yeah, he seems to have immediate sympathy for Millicent Severance when he, she finds out at the at Purgatory that her dad died is dead confirmed, and he doesn't seem to have sympathy for anybody else. 
Okay, I want to talk about that. Okay. So what's up with his mom? He is quick to get off the phone with her. He's, right. He says he's at work when he's not at work. But otherwise, he's like relatively nice to his mom, right? Yeah. When she sends him the tape, he doesn't just throw it away. Or, or he actually does dig out his VCR and he does watch the movie she sent him. Mm-hmm. Right? Right, yeah. Like, while he's having his orange juice and crackers. While he's having his orange juice and crackers. Like, uh, he's accepting of their recommendations at that point. Like, there's so many things that he just, like, doesn't pay attention to. Like, the fact that he's he has one day to pay his rent, and then he gets an extra day to pay his rent. And, like, and he I follows a coyote. <laughs> you know, I just need one more day to get the money. Like, why does he even say that? He that he has no intention of getting the money, right? <laughs> Not at all. Um, he just doesn't want to have to move his stuff out right now. But he does. Maybe. He does watch the movie his mom sends him. Yeah. But what if, so why? Uh, he did wake up on the grave of Janet Gaynor, though. And he saw the painting of Janet Gaynor. So Janet Gaynor is yeah. somehow part of this, of his travel. And so a, a lot of this movie is about just celebrities as like totems of pop culture. But a lot of it's about celebrities being dead, right? Right. Specifically. Right. Uh, the life masks are creepy because it's like they're death masks, right? Well, yeah, exactly. And, and we get the we we've already had some pretty overt Hitchcock references, and then we get Hitchcock's grave of right. all things, right? Like, there's other ways to work in a Hitchcock reference other than his gravestone, right? And then and then now to this point, when Ricky Lindholm was while he's bathing in tomato juice from the skunk spray on him. Which I'm yeah. going to talk about that in a second. Um, she says she can't all, she can't believe all the famous people that she grew up with are now all dialing and rattling, dying, <laughs> and is it's rattling, like dialing. Oh, sorry, because she says it's amazing to me. I was like, who is Jefferson Sevens that everyone knows who this random billionaire is that like, and they all care about him. He's a daredevil. He can do oh, awesome he, bike flips. Oh, oh, he's a daredevil. I missed that somehow. It's on the it's news, news report with the Botox reporter, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I yeah, I somehow missed that. Um, fucking doggy style, right? Exactly. Mm-hmm. Why does he choose that position? <laughs> um, and how disconnected with his, they... uh, jungle hunt T-shirt still yeah. on? <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah, no. Fair to lots jungle of hunt. I always that. thought was the shittiest uh, arcade game. It was like if you if we went to an arcade and they had the only machine working was Jungle Hunt. It was like man. <laughs> yeah, that that was a very uncomfortable sex scene for me. I was like, Ugh. but for the most part, it was also like how disinterested both of them were. They were watching a news report about a missing billionaire, discussing the poster over their bed. You know, it was just ne- neither of them are into this. And what was on the TV before the news came on? Before they broke in with the news? Did you see? I forget. I remember it's seeing like, it. It's but... like Ultimate Fighting <laughs> Champions. <laughs> Ultimate fighting. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, so like, but like, so so Ricky says um, she rattles off a list of people that you know from her youth that she can't believe are all dying: Dick Clark, Elizabeth Taylor, Johnny Carson. Which, if you think about yeah. it, this, is this is now. But this, this, in a way, that this monologue kind of implies that all those people have done this underground pyramid thing under the underground tomb. That they're all 
in a, in a way. Um, and uh, and then Sam then breaks in and, and, and voices reason for a change and says, "Well, everybody dies. <laughs> it's not that it's not that strange that the people the people who were old when you were young and you've grown up." <laughs> <laughs> are gonna die you know yeah, yeah you know but yeah. it, it does i know that feeling of like oh everyone i love is dying now so or sitting uh, themselves in a tomb so i want to take i want to get this back to millicent um, oh, okay so so celebrities dying is like a, a lot of this is uh a lot of the the themes of the movie are about about um uh just pop culture artifacts um like being byproducts of uh, living a creative life, but then being dead, right? And there's like the things right. that get left behind from 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 dead people. But death is like just kind of all over the movie generally. Like Jesus and the Brides of Frankenstein, those are all dead. <laughs> Brides of Dracula, yeah, they're all dead. Character or Brides of Dracula, they're all yeah, they're all uh, dead creatures, uh, dead characters, and uh, of one one way or another. Um, and then the way he the way he does feel sympathy for Millicent when he didn't seem to care about her dad, but he cares about her finding out about her dad. And then the thing with his mom, like he gets a phone call from his mom while he's lying down in a graveyard. Yeah. Uh, and then he finds out it's in front of her favorite actress's uh, uh, headstone. And then he goes, watches that movie. Like, I think his mom is dead. Oh, Yeah. I think his mom's dead. Well, the 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 envelope which the VHS tape came in says his name on it and address, and it just says "mom" in the return address. Oh, did it? It says "mom" and then an address. Oh, okay. So I like, had an address. Okay. Yeah. So like, um, I mean, that could go either way. That could be show that he, she isn't dead, or could show that she is, and that's how he sees it. It's mom. I mean, I hate this. I hate. I don't. I don't think it's right to look at this movie as it's just a puzzle that's to be be decoded. Yeah, and if exactly. you find the code, then like, oh, and now I understand what the real plot of this movie no, is. Exactly. No. I I think it's just like this is a guy who is adrift and doesn't have any emotional connections in his life and is desperate to is desperate to have to figure out where his meaning is without. Yeah. Without actually doing anything constructive <laughs> to create meaning in his life, I completely, right? I completely agree. I, and I think it's, I think it's just about that. And, yeah. Everything uh, around it, can, there's all these connections. There's all these things. There's like, like, like if you sit there and say, "Well, is this real?" Uh, well, it kind of. Uh, it's not that it doesn't matter, but that's not why we're watching this. Yeah, I think it's like Primer, where yes, you. You you can like go yeah. piece together what all the nine or whatever it is overlapping timelines are and figure out oh yes it does work and you can figure out oh this I don't remember the characters names but like this version of Kevin whatever his name is oh that's Kevin seven and here's Kevin two and in this scene and yada yada and and yes you can puzzle it up but you don't have to to just to understand the implications yeah. of what they're doing and how it creates problems for them and what this means for the characters and how that, how that builds yeah. up the themes of, of the film. Right? right. I think this movie is like that, where I think you could like find all the connections between all these things, but what's more, what's important is that they connect. Right. Is that they connect. Right. Right. Um, that's how I, that's how I watch it. 
and, and, and I feel like when you start following those threads, you start to fall into Sam's mindset of trying to chase all those things. But then it keeps coming back to the comic man going, I need to get a family. Because <laughs> 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 you can chase that forever, and then what is it? Nothing. It <laughs> doesn't give you anything. Just a bunch of rich people died, sealing themselves up in tubes, and that's it. Yeah, taking like, people so with them. Let them. Yeah, let them. <laughs> uh, everybody. Everybody seems to be doing this voluntarily. It seems to be consensual. It's like that. Um, uh, it's like that Onion article about, um, you know, countless rich people are are dying on Mount Everest, and the world seems to be fine with that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <laughs> they want to go up there and kill themselves. So, okay, they're paying eleven twenty two thousand dollars for a permit to get up there and. Yeah. Okay. I, I, I didn't realize how bad that was when I saw the photos of it's like this long fucking Disneyland line up to the roof. Yeah. People just standing there waiting in line. It's like, how many people are, oh my God. It's ridiculous. When they're like, people like making this their first mountain climb is to just go straight to Everest. Like, and they're stepping yeah. over dead bodies to get there. It's like, I think the first dead body, I'd be like, okay, I'm, no, okay. <laughs> I don't need yeah. to do this. It's not like saying, and at this point, if you're in line with 2,200 other people, you know, your your reason for going to Everest isn't so great anymore, is it? Like, if you're thinking, I could be someone who climbed Mount Everest with all these other people who, (laughs) it's like, you're not special anymore. (laughs) Right. And, you know, it it would be embarrassing to only climb the 10th highest mountain. Uh. Like, how could you even, you wouldn't even mention that. Right, exactly. It's, it's got to be Everest. It has to have the cachet, right? It's, yeah, it's so stupid. He almost got through it without slipping. <laughs> how could you think that was a stool? Idiot! Well, I was climbing Everest. No, no, tell him about how you fell. I like a funny story. No one help him! <laughs> Climbed Mount Everest. Bah! (laughs) (laughs) Bob Odenkirk is so fucking funny. Oh, Jesus. Okay. Um, I mean, I could go through all these things. It's just there's so much. I mean, we didn't even get into the cereal box and the map and the... Nintendo Power Magazine. Nintendo. (laughs) That's where it's kind of... You're going, okay, none of this... (laughs) Uh, what one is of that? The, yeah. One of my other favorite moments is um, uh, Topher Grace. I always love Topher Grace. Yeah. Uh, Topher Grace talking about uh, um, how everything's too safe now, and so you can't just go around a bush or look under a rock and find it, find a mystery. Like everything's solved now, and so we have to go searching for mysteries while saying that while Mario descends the green pipe into. <laughs> Level yes. one, two. <laughs> yeah, I. Qu- I qu- that was a, yeah, that was a great. That was a great uh, montage. I I transcribed a later thing that he said while they were doing the drone, and he says like a hundred years ago, any moron could kind of wander into the woods and look behind a rock or some shit and discover some cool new shit. Not anymore. Where's the mystery that makes life worthwhile? We crave mystery because there's none left. Oh, I thought that. Oh, I was remembering him oh, but, saying that during the Mario. Well, well, he that was did, during the trailer did, scene? Yeah, but he did say something similar during that Mario thing that was really great. I can actually, 
I can probably pull it up right here. Let me see. I wanted to go back and just watch all of the little monologues. Um, yeah. Because that's, that's what I think. You know, when I made my bullet points of the themes of this movie, they were all represented by one of those little little monologues, which you could see, you could view as a, as a weakness of the script, but I actually thought it was pretty great. Oh, yeah. Okay, there's Topher Grace in the bar. Now, where's Topher Grace in the... Oh, that's in my, that's my other uh, Richard huh. Link letter. This movie really had a... Um, oh, in yeah. those moments, in those conversations, I thought this movie had a real uh, Richard Linklater vibe to it. That's true, yeah. Oh, right before he gets sprayed with a skunk, he sees a... Um, um, he sees a figure on that nature trail. And, it's, and he's scared and he runs. And then he sees the same Jason-like figure... You know, uh, on the other side of the trail, and that's and then yeah. he hides in the bush, and that's where he gets stung, squirted by the skunk. Yeah. And so it's like, is this part of his imagination too? And that's that's on the same trail where he has the dream about. Yeah, the exactly. Sarah man eating the dog. Yeah, or eating the eating the guy. Um. By the way, uh, I watched this movie two nights ago. Last night, I was walking home. Uh, from a concert or from dinner after the concert mm-hmm. and uh, uh, turned a corner I'm just like an, on a street in Ann Arbor uh, and it's dark and like look and there's a skunk like three feet away from me and I was like oh shit I'm in the movie oh, I had no. a, it, was I like, had... it was one o'clock in the morning and I was like freaked out <laughs> uh, remember when Sam confesses how much he hates the homeless Yes, uh, the, so that's the one monologue scene where I I'm not quite clear on its thematic relevance. Right. I've been trying to I've been trying to puzzle that one out. Um, I don't think I yeah. quite have it. What do you think of that scene? Yeah, I'm 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 pushing it too. The the thing that keeps dominating my thoughts though is that he is that he literally will be one soon because he's oh, he's yeah. getting evicted. That's right. He will. It's it's I mean it, I mean to me that's that that kind of plays into the the buried entitlement that he feels about like i he says a monologue where he says i i thought i was going to be somebody important i thought i was going to be somebody big and i thought i was going to do something that mattered and then he said has this thing where he you know he's talking to this billionaire or this billionaire's daughter he's in his pajama bottoms and she's in a you know a gold dress and they come across this homeless man, and he immediately is belligerent to him, you know, and because he says, "Hey, do you have a dollar?" He's no, and he goes, "Really?" And he goes, "Fuck off!" Like just barks yeah. immediately at him, and then goes into the things. I know it's not right to say, but I hate the homeless. It's it's they're just they're they're watching everybody have their delicious food and their TV and their, you know, and they can't have any of it. And it was kind of like, well, dude, yeah, and you're going to be there literally. So to me, it was like he hated the people that he is steadily in decline to becoming. Now, the note I did write was that the final, the guy who's known as the final man, is the the man who he meets in that little hut, who is going to be buried in the tomb with the three girls. Mm-hmm. His explanation of what the six months uh, are going to be like before ascension is very reminiscent of Sam's description of why he hates the homeless. They say the same thing. 
It's the same thing, right? It's the same thing. So well, and it's 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 like what Balloon Girl says when they're in the at the basement having drinks on a tombstone table. <laughs> right. It's 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 just eating, eating, drinking. Right. Pop I mean, culture and having sex like that's yeah. It's just pure sensation. Right. It's just that's what you aspire to be. And I hate the homeless because they can't have. They're looking at us and wanting it, and they can't have it. Yeah. So I want to be. I want to be what the elites are doing, having sex and eating and watching TV and pop culture. And then, um, and so when he is talking, when he finally gets to talk to Sarah in the, via video phone in the tomb, um, I mean, he's kind of face to face with She's going to be down there and she's going to waste away and die. And I think that kind of matters to him. And I think he's kind of like torn between saying you got to get out of there and also realizing her fate is. Like, like they said, she's going to be in there for don't don't make it worse on her. You know, and then what her he goes, do you think I made a mistake? And he goes, I think maybe. And she's remember she her final line her line is well there's no getting out now so I better make the best of it and then they cut to Sam and then in a very obvious cut they then cut to the Hollywood sign and you and you hear Sam say yeah me too and what happens after that when does he end up back in the he, uh, well, the coffee shop with the beware the dog killer painted on the window. Well, what happens is he he has stupidly drunk the tea that they gave him. Yeah, and so they all go to sleep, and he can't help but go to sleep too because he drank the tea, and then the homeless king shows up, and walks over to him and he passes out, and then he wakes up in the tied to the chair, and the, the homeless king interrogates him about why are you carrying these biscuits, and then yeah. he. And the thing, the thing I like about that scene is even if even if he is the dog killer or if he's not the dog killer or if he killed her dog or if he didn't kill her dog, what he says there is at the core of himself. Like at that point, it's like it's not just if if he's carrying dog dog. It's not why he's just carrying dog treats. It's why he's doing everything he's doing right now. Yeah. 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 So so. He could very well be the dog killer and said that, and it was still true, and, and then the guys lets him go, but you know, didn't actually answer his... He, he exits out through the hole in the mountains. They cut to him walking by the cafe with Beware the Dog Killer still on it. Oh, but not before he sees the billboard of his girlfriend that's being covered up with a hamburger and a clown. Burgers are love. Burgers are love. That's right. And so then that's when he goes home and watches the movie and then heads over to the topless woman and then the sheriff comes in and that's how the movie That's when he hears the bird again, right. Right. Okay. All right. I was trying to remember when he saw the the dog killer, beware the dog killer message painted. It was right after that. And he he kind of sneers at it, looks at it, and almost sheepishly moves on. That's why that shot really makes it look like a reminder of what you've done. And all the pain you've caused other people because you had no, no aim. In the first scene, 
when the association is playing and he he's watching the girl in the uh, Jim Morrison yeah. t-shirt scrubbing the letter and then he looks at the two girls in the kitchen right those aren't those aren't actresses who show up later right no no he's just, this is just the male gaze and he's just like fixated on because uh, one is platinum blonde and one is dyed black hair it's like two different types of of fantasy women you know yeah and the way that the camera tracks in it's like there's something wrong with the guy this there's something wrong with the way this guy is watching this girl these right, girls exactly right? and they're just sitting there talking they're not doing you know they're just hmm. yeah so yeah I just want to make sure that they they weren't actresses that we end up seeing later. I don't believe so. I mean, I, okay. I, 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 I that's what I came to. Can we talk about the owls catch real quick? Yes, absolutely. What do you think the owls quick? This is the last thing I want to talk about. Okay. And then I'm and then I'm all out of topics. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure there's a owls lot. Owls kiss. What do you think the owls kiss symbolized in this? It's not a pop culture phenomenon, all the right. way everything else is. I. I I'm not entirely for sure, but if I were to wager the the animations that occur while they're talking about the owl's kiss, mm-hmm. there's a shot where when she comes in, the, the 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 face of the owl of the woman comes in to the throat of a sleeping man and bites the entire throat out and rips it out. Yeah, that to me goes okay. The owl's kiss is is his is fear of women. That's all I could come up with, but because it, it's purely the female form, face obscured. I don't know what owl has to do with it, but except there's a topless bird lady also in the movie. Topless when bird you, lady. When you said topless bird lady at first, I thought you meant well. She's called the owl's kiss, and then I realized, right. oh no, you're talking about his neighbor. Right. <laughs> and there's one moment. Yeah, there's a moment in it where that I thought was important that you see the topless bird lady. He looks over at, at Sarah comes back to the topless bird lady and she's got something on and that never happens in the movie. <laughs> and it was important. And I don't know where I wrote that down, but, um, uh, but no, I think, I, yeah, I think, she, I think that's pure fear of being dominated and hurt by women. So uh, I have a slightly different take. So when I before I saw it follows, I had read a blurb about it, and I guess this is like the prevailing take is that the 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 monster whatever it is and it follows uh, is a metaphor for STDs, right? Right, sexually transmitted diseases, or mm-hmm. or maybe HIV/AIDS in particular. And then I watched it, and I didn't get that at all. I thought it was clearly a metaphor for sexual abuse. Hmm. All of the forms it takes are either seem to be sexual abusers or sexual abuse victims. Hmm. And uh, especially her father, who appears at first in a in a t-shirt with no underwear on, and then later is naked, right? Hmm. Um, but the fact that it appears as her as her as her father, who's not in the picture. Right. Right. At home um, or as like a, a woman who's been like beaten and 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 raped and drowned. Uh, and just like uh, all people who are like wearing states of like sl- sleeping wear and undress. Right. Yeah. 
right? Or a partial undress. I, I was like, no, this is about sexual abuse and how it gets passed on from like generation to generation. And when you're abu- abuser, abuse victims become abusers, right? Mm-hmm. And um, how it creates this this cycle of 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 terror and pain and hurt. And knowing that it could always come back if it could always come back to you. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it's like this, this, this pain that you carry and then you pass it on to somebody else. Right. And then you, it's never gone. And I thought, well, that's, that's what it, that's what it is. But then I saw it under the silver lake and the owl's kiss. And I'm like, it could just be like the sexual urge in, in the abstract as well. It's just something you can't shake, like something that dominates you and you can't shake it. And and not necessarily like in a Catholic guilt kind of way, although kind of like that, but just when it when the sexual urge comes for you, it comes for you. Like it it now it's controlling your actions. Now it's dominating you. And mm. um so I didn't I didn't see it as like as as uh as being controlled by a woman. It's just that the need to like, you know, you've just finished You've just finished uh, having sex with your uh, acquaintance who came over and brought you sushi. <laughs> so you just did it. You just did it on your bed uh, while talking about Kurt Cobain and watching the news. Now you're having a conversation about masturbation, and that. But then you got to get right up and check out the girl who lives across the way. Right. What are you right? looking at? That damn bird. Yeah. <laughs> like he just can't stop. Yeah. He goes right from looking at the the Jim Morrison T-shirt girl to the two girls in the in the kitchen. He can't, yeah, he can't quiet the urge. He can't turn off the male gaze. Every 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 time he looks at somebody, it's a consumptive act. Mm. I I completely agree with that, and that's certainly in the in this movie uh, very strongly. Um, the the owl's kiss, though, however, I I never viewed as a object of sexual arousal or uncontrollable lust. It's definitely sexuality, because obviously in the way that it 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 uh, moves so unnaturally um, and almost animalistically with it, moving with its uh, with uh, her femininity first, you know. Yeah, so the right. femininity thrust out front and and everything else arched back. Um, but the fact that the zine was not, um, talking about it tantalizingly, it was talking about it very cautiously in a fair, fearful way. Like she will, the owl's kiss comes for you and it kills you when you're sleeping and, you're, oh, 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 and, and it's over, you know? And so but it's at the root of all of our problems. Right. Exactly. That's true. <laughs> but it, that, 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 I'm oh, sorry. Right. When you said that, it reminded me of, I think one of the most brilliant things I've, not, well, you've said many a brilliant things, but I think this is one of the most brilliant things I've heard said is we were talking about Super Bowl ads. You know what I'm talking about? We were talking about Super Bowl oh, yeah. ads uh, one year that were particularly, they all had a similar theme. Especially <laughs> but beer ads. The beer, the football, beer ads that air during football games and yeah. just in general in have general. this theme. And yeah. you, you said the theme of all these beer ads are 
anger towards women that men need them in order to not be gay. Yeah. And I think the real important part there is not in order to have sex. It's in order to not be gay. Yeah. <laughs> I thought, yes, that's Resent- the yeah. Resentment and anger Resentment towards women. Resentment towards women because you need them to fuck. And, and specifically not I've be gotta, gay, yeah. I've got to put up with these bitches. I just wish I could just fuck my buddies, but that would make me a <laughs> f- it, so I can't do that. So i got to put up with these bitches so I can fuck them. Damn it. Give me a beer. It, yeah, it's exactly what that. That's exactly what those ads feel like, and that's why they always made me so uncomfortable. Ugh. Oh my gosh, she wants something. Shit. <laughs> Shut up. Uh, so, would you recommend? I think I know your answer. Under the Silver Lake. <sighs> if you liked Mulholland Drive. Or Donnie Darko. Or if you would like a version of The Big Lebowski that wasn't an outright comedy in which it felt like the characters were on hallucinogenic drugs, although oddly no characters in this film are depicted taking any drugs except for a cookie and a cup of tea. It's, it's surprising that Sam doesn't like smoke pot in this movie, right? No. We see him smoke Marlboros at two different points, but he doesn't even seem to be a regular smoker. No, it, that seems to be a thoroughly gumshoe aesthetic at certain points. Yeah. That seems to be hearkening the genre L.A. Noir more than anything else. Anyway, if you, would like, if you would like a mashup of The Big Lebowski and Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> that's, not, that's not quite right. Really, if you liked Mulholland Drive, um, which is funny because I did not like Mulholland Drive, but I love, I really love this, I really love this oh, movie. I, I I loved Mulholland Drive, um, but I, I you know I I never felt like connected to it. I felt totally connected to this movie. I loved this movie. I I totally loved this movie. This is this movie was my jam. <laughs> um, I felt like this movie was my friend. Yeah, give it a shot. Give it a shot. If you don't like it after half an hour, you're not gonna like the rest of it. Turn it off. That's right. That's what my that's what my wife did. Or she, she I already watched it, but she didn't. She didn't. I guess didn't know we had it. And she said she goes. I tried watching this movie called Under Silver Lake for like 20 minutes. I had to shut off. It was just awful. Yeah. No, that's <laughs> and I go. Right well, it's probably the right move. <laughs> if you didn't like it by then, it's only gonna get worse. It's for you. only gonna get worse. But, but like after 20, 30 minutes in this movie, I was like. I am perfectly fine if we okay okay we could find out that Sam's really the dog killer whatever and I I guess that'd be okay but if we never find out who the dog killer is and we don't even find out like what happened to to Sarah like I'm totally okay with that in this movie <laughs> like yeah. I yeah. like I'm just I, I this doesn't have to go anywhere for me you know that that's that's where I was with this movie you know, it got more of a had more of a resolution than I thought it was going to, to be honest. And especially for what it actually resolves, which is not much, but it does have it one. It does. You do actually get to the bottom of what happened. I would, um, in a way, that kind of reminds me of my favorite movie in, uh, of of a couple of years back, and it's inched up into my top five of all time is midnight special something i would love to do on this podcast although i love it so much i don't even know if i have anything 
But Midnight Special uh, is directed by Jeff, Jeff Nichols, and Jeff Nichols' movies you, uh, are, are, are rightly praised, but some people, and I think especially with Midnight uh, Special, um, have a problem with his style of storytelling, which to me, Midnight Special is my jam. I connected so heavily with that movie, and like it, I was right with it. I don't see how nothing's missing. It's all right there. You know, and uh, a lot of people were frustrated because they felt like it didn't. It, there's a lot missing, and his and Jeff Nichols has said in the past. He goes, when the character, when the characters get where they need to be, that's the end of the movie. Hmm. Why there's anything else doesn't matter to me, and I know that frustrates people. And you're right to be frustrated if that's not the way you think. And there's other questions about other things. But if all the characters have gotten where they need to be and that's their closures happen, that's end of movie. Why keep going? There's no reason to keep going. Hmm. And um, and I think he's right. Because <laughs> every every movie he's done uh, that I've seen, uh, you know, Shotgun Stories was okay. It was a good, nice debut. Uh, Take Shelter is pretty incredible. Uh, Mud is dynamite. And Midnight Special is one of the, my favorite movies I've ever seen in my life. I haven't seen any of these. I need to check these out. Yeah. Mud is one of the best written movies you'll find around. It's really great. Um, but yeah, that's the thing about the, the quote-unquote non-resolution. I felt like, I felt like um, uh, Under the Silver Lake got him to where he needed to be for the movie to end. That, that was a resolution... Enough. I, the first time I saw it, I was a little bit like, really? That's it? That's the end? Second time I saw it, I was like, no, that's perfect. Sounds good. And you, let us know if we sounded good. You can email us at youwatchedwrong at happypanic.net, our preferred way to be contacted. But please, if you want to air out your laundry for everyone to see and read <laughs> and peruse, then do it on Twitter. We have a Twitter feed. We have a Facebook page. Just search for You Watched It Wrong. You'll find us. You'll find us sooner or later. And, uh, yeah, so contact us on the things. Unicorn, tiger, snake, lion. Try that again. Unicorn, tiger, snake, lion. That's the first images of the movie. Of Under the Silver Lake, they give you a circle thing. It says a picture of a unicorn, then a tiger, then a snake, then a lion. What? And then it moves on. Yeah. What, Wait. Right before, you, the... right before you see the beware uh, of the dog being washed off by the Jim Morrison t-shirt lady, um, it gives a yellow screen and it flashes in the center of the screen. There's a tiny little, there's a circle with a drawing of a unicorn and there's a, it cuts quick and there's a, then a, Tiger, a snake, and a lion. And they're are they in a two by two grid? No, it's one after the other. I don't remember that. Yeah, it's real quick. And then it pans over, and then you see a guy in a t shirt that's got some of the like similar graphics, but not the same things. He's got similar style graphics on his shirt. But that's all you see of that. And the only thing I is can figure a, out Is that in a grid? Yeah, that's in a grid. Line? That's an agreement. Because at the shirt. at the pool party, there are two people wearing T-shirts with these circular symbols, right? And they're wearing the same T-shirt, and it looks like this uh, T-shirt that's at the 
comic book shop in my neighborhood, uh, Vault of Midnight, except, mm. which has Nintendo characters mm. that look like that. But I remember there were two guys wearing that same T-shirt at the pool party. And I'm like, wait, I've seen this T-shirt earlier in this movie, and I was trying to think it of where. It was in the coffee shop at the very beginning. I, my only guess as to what that means is cluing us into the vapidity that comes later. Because unicorn, unicorn, tiger, snake, lion. Under the Silver Lake. Oh, weird. <laughs> it's like the title card has been coded. <laughs> okay. I could be wrong. I could be wrong. No, but that's about... That's, that's, no, that's got to be it. I'm just going, What is? why do they have this thing? Boom, 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 boom. That, you don't see it anywhere else in the movie as far as I saw. Except, you know, those particular animals. Under the Silver Lake. Well done. Well done. You watched it wrong. <laughs> uh, you watched it right. No. You watched that right. <laughs> well done. You suck. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So uh, hopefully send us your thoughts. Send us your things to all the things that he mentioned before. Let us know things we missed. We totally didn't mention a lot of stuff. It's really dense. But uh, sure, hit us up on all the things. Let us know where you think we're wrong. Let us know where you think we watched it right. And uh, we hope to hear anything you have to say. Go listen to Disaster Pieces' uh, uh, original score album because the oh. score in this movie is fucking awesome. I was going to bring it up, but I forgot to ask you about it. Yeah, the score is amazing. Uh-huh. Good writing music, too, I imagine. Uh, but, and the soundtrack was great, too. I've never had so much fun listening to uh, What's the Frequency, Kenneth? About a yeah. about a paranoid <laughs> person spouting a conspiracy theory while shooting Dan Rather. Let's cue the final pun. And if you're trying to get your ex-girlfriend back by leaving a trail of biscuits outside of her home, you dog watched it wrong. This conversation was recorded on June 7th, 2019. This message was written in hobo code.